X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. My name is Jeff Smith, and I live in Portland, Oregon, and you might as well. It is Thursday, February the 25th. Today, back in the day, February 25th, 1919, Oregon became the first state to tax gasoline. The tax was implemented to raise money to build roads. Funding the construction and paving of roads is something most U.S. states were trying to figure out. Oregon was the first to levy a gas tax. Within 10 years, nearly every U.S. state had followed in Oregon's footsteps. The tax started at one cent a gallon in Oregon, 1923, raised to three cents. That year, the Pacific Highway was created. Oregon became the first state west of Mississippi to have a paved highway the entire length of the state. By 1939, there was an average tax of 3.8 cents per gallon amongst the different states. Current gas tax in Oregon, about 37 cents a gallon, just about 25% less than it would be if that three cents in 1923 had kept up with inflation. If you want the inflation index arithmetic, 46 cents. The actual tax now again, 37 cents. It is Black History Month. Today we recognize Reverend Alfred L. Henderson. Henderson founded the Portland Observer in the 1970s. It is Oregon's oldest still-running African-American newspaper through its 50 years of publication. The Observer is sought to inform and uplift black communities, other communities of color. Reverend Henderson was likely inspired by the People's Observer, a short-lived 1940s publication that was also created by and for black Portlanders. Henderson revitalized that intent with the new Portland Observer, and to this day, the weekly paper seeks to bring stories focusing on education, health, politics, law, and justice to its readers. Today, we have an interview with Dr. Juniper Simonis on their research on the effects of tear gas and other chemical weapons and their use by Portland police. X-ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. The Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Office has released its first report. However, the data seem incomplete. Now, by the way, you might have thought I should have said the data seems incomplete. I might even have said that the first time. But data is plural. And why? Because datums just sounded weird. According to the U.S. Justice Department, there are 11 missing and 8 murdered indigenous persons cases linked to the state of Oregon. Advocates agree the number is incomplete, though, as agencies often fail to collaborate. A new program called the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Initiative is operating across different states, including this one, Oregon. It seeks to create a more coordinated law enforcement response to missing persons cases. Cedar Wilkie Gillette is the new Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Coordinator for the Oregon District Attorney's Office. She says her office releasing the report is a milestone in itself. The report serves as an incomplete snapshot of reality, just one of the first steps towards filling in the rest of the information. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. Oregon reported 437 new cases of COVID-19 on Wednesday. There were 32 new deaths. There are currently 162 patients hospitalized with the coronavirus, three less than yesterday. 16 Oregon counties will move to lower COVID restrictions tomorrow. Washington, Clackamas, Hood River, and Lynn counties are among nine moving from the high-risk to the moderate-risk assessment tomorrow. This means gyms, restaurants, movie theaters, and bowling alleys will all be able to hold up to 50% capacity. Multnomah County missed the threshold to move into moderate risk by nine cases. Well, to be exact, nine cases per 100,000 people. This is largely due to the outbreak that we have been covering in the Inverness Jail. But the metrics go strictly by the numbers. The next time risk levels will be reassessed will be in two weeks. Counties may move up or down depending on the rate of infection. 
Shout out to the Polk County Itemizer Observer. They're reporting the Oregon legislature wants its day in court for redistricting. Democrats and Republicans in the legislature uniting to reset the clock on delays that would cut them out of drawing political maps for the 2022 election. As we talked about earlier on The Local, the U.S. Census Bureau says the data due April 1st won't actually arrive till September. That's six months late, and that means after the legislative session. So Representative Andrea Salinas, chair of the House Redistricting Committee, talked to the press this week and said, we're going to blow by all the deadlines at this point. Legislators want the courts to reset the clock. They're requesting to have 60 days from when they get the census data to debate the issue, draw the maps, and get that to the governor for the signature. House Speaker Tina Kotek said, yeah, that would be possible, even though the legislature is supposed to adjourn on July 1st. Her quote, we'd have a special session. A Florence restaurant has been fined $18,000 for operating during the lockdown. The Little Brown Hen Cafe has been offering indoor dining since December, despite the county's lockdown regulations. State officials said they were greeted by armed guards when they responded to a tip about unsafe working conditions. The officials refused entry and armed men followed them to their car. To be clear, it was not the state officials that were the armed guards. It was the restaurant, the cafe, that had the armed guards. Officials were able to see evidence of indoor dining and therefore issued the fine of $18,000. Regardless, the restaurant has 30 days to appeal. Lane County is going to move into the high-risk category on Friday, which does allow for limited indoor dining. But to be clear, the Little Brown Hen already jumped the gun a bit. Goodbye, Madison High School. Hello, Leotis v. McDaniel High. The Portland Public School Board unanimously voted to rename James Madison High School as Leotis v. McDaniel High School. McDaniel was a Portland native who attended Buckman Elementary and graduated from Lincoln High School in 1953. He went on to become the principal of Madison High in the 1980s. McDaniel was one of the few African-American principals in Oregon at the time. The McDaniel High is not just new in name only. The former Madison High is in the middle of a massive remodel and is slated to open next year. McDaniel High is the second school to be renamed after an African-American Oregonian of note. In January, Woodrow Wilson High was renamed the Ida B. Wells Barnett High School. The renamings are happening in an effort to move Portland away from a well-acknowledged racist history. A rescued sea turtle has been moved from Newport to SeaWorld for long-term rehab. The turtle's not on drugs, to be clear. In early February, someone called the Newport Aquarium to report a stranded turtle on Nelscott Beach near Lincoln City. After dispatching a volunteer to monitor the turtle's well-being, said turtle was transported to the aquarium for triage. The turtle had been caught up in cold water, quickly losing the ability to eat or move, and eventually washed ashore. Once at the aquarium, they were able to identify her as a female loggerhead. We did not ask her her pronouns. We are making our best guess. Over a matter of days, a team of vets had to very slowly warm her up from the body temperature she arrived at, which was 50 degrees. A comfortable body temperature for a loggerhead is about 75. Once stabilized, a nonprofit called Turtles Fly 2 worked with a volunteer pilot to fly the Lady Turtle to SeaWorld in San Diego, where she can stay until she is fully rehabilitated. If you find a sea turtle on the beach, the aquarium recommends you immediately note its location, remain nearby to observe, and contact the Oregon State Police tip line at 800-452-7888. And when they get on the phone, shout, I found a turtle! 
No, they don't say anything about the shouting part. Or the West Coast Marine Mammal Stranding Network hotline at 866-767-6112. And some good news. Oaks Park Roller Skating Rink will open for skating, limbo, and derby practice on March 1st. The Oaks Park Rink is the oldest continuously running roller rink in the country. It was closed on March 13th, 2020, and only reopened for a very brief stint in November. On Monday, the rink will be opening again and hopefully staying that way. Capacity is limited to 50 guests at a time, and tickets are available in advance only. They are on sale now on the park's website. So let's get our skate on, Portland. That and that's is today's, today's Quick, Quick Six, Six Local, Local Rundown. Rundown. X-ray. Next, we have an interview with Dr. Juniper Simonis on their research on the effects of tear gas and other chemical weapons and their use by the Portland Police Bureau. Portland protesters are no strangers to tear gas. Portland police have been liberal with their use of gas in the past years during showdowns between far-right demonstrators and anti-fascists, and especially during racial justice protests. But when Homeland Security and Border Patrol took over Portland streets last summer, they brought a different, stronger form of tear gas. Um, almost immediately, people wanted to know what is this stuff and what's its impact on our bodies and the environment. Uh, Dr. Juniper Simonis uh, has answers. They're a Portland-based ecologist and evolutionary biologist and they're here to tell us more. Doctor, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me this morning. Uh, great to be with you. So um, let's jump right in. Your, your research first started in response to mass symptoms from protesters. Uh, what were they going through? Yeah, so uh, somewhere in like the middle, later half of July, um, friends of mine and folks that I follow on Twitter and other socials who had been going out to the protests since the end of May and had been experiencing, you know, pretty solid tear gassing from PPB and even from DHS in the first half of that month, um, first half of the month of July, um, all of a sudden were vomiting, mm. um, like during, during, uh, during the event still and were having like really heavy chests and started developing like very visible um, chemical burns on their skins. Like not like the like kind of warm skin feeling that you have from CS or OC, um, but like an actual visible chemical burn. Wow. Um, and then like the thing that was a, like the really big um, eye-opening concern for me was when some friends of mine who had been going out for a while all of a sudden couldn't get out of bed like two days later right like they were they felt like they were hungover they were lethargic they had really bad headaches wow um, and development of symptoms later on and like like exacerbation of symptoms over time and stuff like that that hadn't really been uh, that I hadn't seen or, or my friends who had been experiencing a lot of this stuff on the ground hadn't been experiencing to that point. Wow. So, so give us some basics about these uh, HC canisters and, you know, what, what they're designed to do, what, you know, how in that moment when you're experiencing it, you know, what those effects are, and then, you know, maybe talk us through what, what you're finding uh, long-term these chemicals are doing. 
Totally. Um, so there's this huge misnomer and it's peddled by the manufacturers and then the users like the police mm -hmm. um, and other law enforcement agencies that um, once you leave the visible cloud that you're fine and that mm. your symptoms will dissipate and that any impact on the environment or whatever will go away. And that's just like patently not true. Um, and it's been not true since these chemicals were developed a century ago yeah. and people have been studying them. Um, like the French developed, began developing tear gas around like the turn of the 18th, 19th century and then it's been evolving since then. And people have been studying its impact since it's been developed, right? And so whether we're talking about, you know, the sort of classic um, tear gas, quote unquote, that people are used to now, which is CS, even though, you know, all these words have confusing terminologies uh -huh. and like colloquialisms, like a lot of people use tear gas and just mean CS. Okay. But tear gas is a very general terminology, right? But like CS, um, OC, which is like your standard quote unquote pepper spray. Um, you know, even the, like the terephthalic acid, which is like the normal smoke, mm -hmm. munition smoke that they use, they all have impacts. Sure. Right? They're all going to do um, a variety of things to people in the short term and over time, right? Like, so CS is an endocrine disruptor and it messes with hormone cycles. That's been known for a half wow. century. Like that's, not, that's not in dispute. Uh, and so like people get impacts of it in the short term, but then they also get impacts in different body cycles in the long term. When it comes to HC, however, which is sort of the, 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 the chemical that was new okay. that the feds brought in the second half of July, right? Like, so that was the, uh, you know, there's been, there was an uh, evolving of the quantity of these other weapons that PVB had already been using. Mm -hmm. um, the, the sort of the new from a chemical standpoint that DHS brought was hexachloroethane smoke. Um, and so it's another kind of munition smoke, which they use really um, off label in a lot of ways um, in that they use it directly on protesters, like as a weapon in a way that you would use tear gas, okay. um, as opposed to uh, munition smoke. So you're supposed to be used to signal and uh, um, obscure, like obscure movements and to signal, you know, airplanes or whatever, which is obviously okay. not happening here. And so you're not supposed to throw them at crowds in the way that you would, you're supposed to, in a, you know, air quotes, throw a, a CS canister at okay. crowds, right? So is this, the, um, is this the one that they're using in the, the like, giant wand that, that, that's being waved around with smoke billowing out of it? Yeah, so um, the, my understanding is that wand that got brought out, which only got brought out once because it's super ineffective in an outdoor setting, um, <laughs> is, is used as a, uh, as a way to train folks um, in uh, doffing and donning uh, uh, chemical uh, like, okay. and stuff. And so it, it's often used in that way. And HC smoke used to be used in that way. Um, however, it's not because people died from it. Um, okay. And uh, the thing is that with like HC smoke, people like they didn't quite realize this or whatever, because there's, it can often be that there's no short term, like, um, like you don't smell it. Mm -hmm. um, you don't, 
necessarily depending on the context like you don't feel it right away um but like minutes later and then hours later and then days later it can like rear, really rear its head um and that uh that is like the first time they brought out the or the, when they brought out the one the one time that we know that they did mm-hmm. uh, the first thing that they put in it was hc okay um and you can see it because that's what like that's the other thing that got people's attention it wasn't just that it was a wand but it was the one that was like ended up glowing, um, and that's like, and then eventually they just put CS canisters in it, basically okay. for the rest of the night. But um, HC, uh, as opposed to this other, like the other standard stuff that uses potassium fires, HC uses a zinc fire, and uh, zinc burns in the like thousand plus like i think it's like 1200 depending on you know what other metals are mixed in there degrees centigrade Mm -hmm. right and at the same time it's kicking out a whole bunch of uh chloride ions that are super corrosive um and it's the pro the the goal like the stated goal of the hc reaction Mm -hmm. is to produce gaseous molten zinc chloride um, so like it's superheated, yeah, and it's in the air. the The cloud that you see from HC, the, like there's been like uh, newspaper clippings that I found from you know uh, middle part of the 1900s uh, where they were testing some of this at places where you they could see clouds yeah. on radar, um, and. Uh, it's, it creates this um, this massive cloud that um, attracts water and then refracts light, right? And so it works like a cloud. Okay. Um, but the thing is that molten zinc chloride, the chloride burns all of your epithelial cells, whether it's your skin or your nose, your mouth or your lungs or your stomach. Yeah. And then the, and that's horrible, right? Like, the, you know, thankfully it's not chlorine gas that's like, like super bad like that, but it's along those lines to be... Okay really aggressive but then what really like gets people in this like days later kind of thing that can actually be fatal is the zinc poisoning Um, because you're getting basically doused with gaseous zinc we're not talking about a big molecule like cs or something like that or oc even cs isn't even that big but like um having to like get through a skin a break in a skin cell we're talking about zinc it's a single molecule right? It's a single ion. Um, it can get through ion channels, but it can definitely get through things that have been messed up by chlorine and chloride ions. And then the zinc is in your body and it's a heavy metal. And anybody who's ever experienced welding has been told, or, you know, done welding has been told to not weld zinc because you get metal fume fever. And that's basically what people get um, in, the, in the field when they've been exposed to zinc chloride gas is wow. they get... Um, they get this uh, multi-organ potentially destroying or failing um, exposure that like destroys a whole bunch of different parts of their body um, wherever it gets into them and then has to get mobilized and excreted. And so it's like, um, there's like huge increases in incidence of uh, cancer and stuff um, in the, the liver and kidneys because your body has to excrete yeah. the zinc. Thankfully, you can get it out as opposed to like other metals that like stay in your body. But um, it, it has major impacts on on the way out of your body, and it takes a while 
which is why people have delayed symptoms and exposure to zinc chloride is like measured over a 10 day period instead of over a one day period, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and so that, you know, that, that kind of begs the question and, and, uh, we're, we're, we've only got a few more minutes left, but this, you know, so this, these gases are being deployed, uh, you know, night after night, um, in, um, in, you know, small areas. It's not like, you know, they walk to every neighborhood in the city and, and gas the whole city. Um, what are the implications for, for us when we want to walk downtown uh, in these areas where this gas has been col- deployed so frequently? Um, you know, so uh, it's, it's, you know, it's one thing for 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 people who were present at the protests to be uh, damaged by these chemicals. Um, what else is being damaged by these chemicals? Uh, that that's a great question that has a lot of answers to it, right? <laughs> because basically, at the end of the day, chemical weapons themselves are indiscriminate. Yes. Um, like when you, whether it's a hand spray can or a grenade or whatever, when you put the chemicals into the environment, they end up dissipating, right, and and impact people and things that you weren't targeting. Yes. Um, but then there's even more indiscriminate nature on top of that, right? And so that's why we, you know, like it's super concerning the degree to which uh, police are just like really quick to jump to using chemical weapons. Mm-hmm. A great example is... Um, uh, like night 100 at Ventura Park, right? Like where they gassed an entire park full of um, folks that were camping there and living there, but also like gassed the neighborhood, like basically for pre-crimes because nobody had really done anything yet. Yeah. Um, and so like the impact is super broad there. Like kids, that was when Team Raccoon is like doing amazing work for like park cleans and, and uh, filter exchanges and stuff. That's when they started having to get like the hood systems for kids because they don't make gas masks for infants and toddlers. Wow. And so like, um, you know, there's, that's when it like that impact got very, very clear on people who aren't at the protests. But then like what I'm studying a lot of is the organisms that aren't at the protests, you know, and like this stuff being moved down into the river through the stormwater system. Yeah. It has persistent impacts that are way beyond the footprint of the protests. and I think it's like it's really important to like realize the degree to which the police are ready to jump to this stuff that impacts everybody completely indiscriminately um, for like minimal property damage, right? Like mm-hmm. outside of the ice building on January 20th, it was literally somebody spray painted plywood outside of the building. Like they didn't spray paint the building, they didn't break a window or anything, mm-hmm. and. Um, DHS unleashed more CS than I have seen them use since the Fed Wars, like the height of the days of the Fed Wars, right? Um, yeah. And right now, if like if you walk around that neighborhood, there's still active chemical weapons all over the place, even after the rain. Mm-hmm. It's like these pepper balls that have exploded. We find unexploded munitions. Like there's stuff that's still on people's walls. They're like outside of their apartment buildings and stuff on the first floor. Like it's it's dangerous because kids and dogs can die from yeah. even like picking up and eating a like a pepper ball that looks like a pokeball or whatever, right? Like so, it is super super dangerous um, because of 
the like the wanton disregard, right? Like the the use of these weapons in a way that um, they're not following up and cleaning up and like mitigating or anything like that, or like really even targeting their impact. And so I am concerned considerably for the the um, the denizens of Portland and yeah. any city or area where this stuff happens because it's not just impacting the folks that are out on the ground protesting racial justice, um, uh, uh, various aspects of racial justice things. So, yeah, so, yeah. so um, uh, wow, that's, that's such a great, a great and upsetting point that um, that there are, are there's so many people who will be affected by this that weren't directly in the cloud, if you will. So uh, we need to finish up, and, and I, I want to thank you for your time. How how can we how can people find out more about how to uh, protect themselves um, uh, going forward? Totally. Um, so the protection aspect is is really really key, and it's a it's a bit out of my specific focus. Right? Like I'm I'm particularly focused on um, like impacts on the environment. But in doing that research, I've uncovered a lot of things. And one thing that um, I've helped, like I'm helping to facilitate and stuff is creating a, a consortium of groups of, of researchers and individuals who are working on this project and, and related things on chemical weapons. And uh, we have a website, chemicalweaponsresearch.com. Okay. And one of, the, one of the things on that website that we're really trying to do is help public education which is it? It's not necessarily targeted specifically right away at protection, but it provides the the some of that information that would allow you to protect yourself better. So Great. we have a munitions library that shows um, all of the different items that I or other people have recovered at protests. Um, and on that site, um, there there are links to um, like safety data sheets and stuff that you Great. wouldn't be able to find in other places. So, so it's not like okay, here's how to protect yourself, but it's some of that information that's hard to find elsewhere. Super. Well, uh, uh, Doctor, thank you so much for your time today, um, and um, so such a complex issue. And um, I appreciate the effort that you're putting into uh, this research on this, and um, um, we'll uh, hopefully. Hopefully we'll <laughs> this we'll we'll figure out how to how to get this out of our bodies and and the environment. So, uh, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. You got it. Thanks to Dr. Simonis for joining the local, and thanks to Julia Oppenheimer, our lead writer today. Thanks for listening to Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes, and thank you for subscribing and giving your five star review. And of course, thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.